0: yo what's going on man Yo, what's up
1: man good to see you family
0: you too well everybody welcome we are the rap geeks this is sean rap geeks baby lizzie all right so today we're going to be getting into it today's album that we're going to be dissecting is fear of a black planet by public enemy as you guys know as of the recording of today this is the 30-year anniversary of the album. And on top of that, some of you might know that Public Enemy just released a new album a couple of weeks ago. Uh, very interesting times for the band, being that they just fired Flavor Flav from the band. And so uh, Public Enemy, its they're a New York-based hip-hop group. They've been around for quite a while, even back to the 80s. Um, they're kind of known as the the group that was probably the most politically charged as far as when hip-hop was getting more into the mainstream around the early 90s. And, and this album is considered by many to be, you know, their some of their finest work, so to speak.
1: Yeah. True, true. True shit man. So what what's uh what are your thoughts man? What's on your mind?
0: So the first thing is did you know that at one point this was Def Jam's top selling record
1: of all time? I believe it. I truly believe it, man. Thinking about everything that was going on around that time, it was pretty early. It's still pretty fucking early. Right. Right.
0: <clears throat> and as you listen to the album, despite the fact that it was released such a long time ago, like, you know, thirty years ago it's crazy how the album a lot of the stuff that's spoken on the album although it's not to the level of i mean in modern day is not to the level of the the types of lyrical content that was spoken at that 19 at 1990 it's still there's a lot of it that's still relevant today
1: yeah no i was as i was listening to it man sonically obviously it's it's a little dated but the if you were to just read the lyrics it it's, it's timeless. It, there's still a lot of relevant um, things going on. Right, right. And
0: so the album starts off with the song called Contract on the World Love Jam. And I think it kind of throws you into what the album's going to be like. It's really comprised of just a bunch of different samples going on. And then uh, it's mainly a lot of media reaction to Public Enemy. So in some ways, they were using pretty smart, you know guerrilla type marketing to 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 put themselves out that they're a controversial group at that era of hip hop
1: yeah no i i do think they were they definitely used the controversy on them as as content for the the a lot of the messages that they were talking about on the album itself um a lot of sampling from from actual news Uh, stations talking about them um, included in the whole mix of samples that they use right right And, and
0: so the the first kind of official track of the album the album it really does have a very strong start to it with the song called brother's gonna work it out and it's a reference to Willie Hutch almost like a tribute to the song that he made back I believe in the 1970s and Talking about samples, something Public Enemy does so much is they actually sampled themselves. So out of the 12 samples used within this track, three of them were just their own music. Like, Don't Believe the Hype or Bring the Noise. And mm-hmm. I haven't really thought of too many people uh, that that do that as far as uh, always constantly sampling their own music. I thought that was very interesting.
1: Yeah. Here we go again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean stuff like that, dude. I love that. Right, man. the The album after. No, that. Go ahead. No, that that um that song was was a good start f- following um the the instrumental that um preceded it. Uh, fucking Chuck's Chuck's rap, the sense the tone heavy. For, for the raps that he's going to be coming with later on. But the beat is a pretty simple, it's a pretty simple beat. Um, but I did appreciate the, uh, the psychedelic guitars going on in the background. I don't know if people were sampling a lot of music like that back then, but I think it was, it added a really great texture to it.
0: Right. And, you know, Right after Chuck D kinda does his monologue on Brothers Gonna Work It Out, it goes straight into Nine One One Is a Joke. And that is a Flavor Flav solo. And what what's really interesting about this track is is the way that it really is a representation of the album because there's some really funky, lighthearted jams going on, but on top of that, mm-hmm. it's overlaid with like very serious political lyrical dispositions going on. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's like it's a very catchy song. Like you know, you can you can bob your head to it. You can kind of even dance to it. But the lyrics are just so inappropriate for you know for something like for this to be played at like a high school prom setting because they're so. Impactful, you know, Flavor Flav is speaking specifically about how emergency hotlines do not respond to, you know, minority communities.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that thing that you just said is pretty constant throughout the whole album. Uh, if you can listen to the background, what's happening in the background, they tend to have so much ambient sounds, whether it be a whole crowd, whether it be a train. You know or just regular shit you'll hear just growing up in New York and I do I really think that even with a song like 911 is a joke, yeah. they they make music like that to really t- to perform it live to their people. I think they really talk to their people with this album and 911 is a joke you know um, I, I, I think a song like that is again it's a light-hearted track um, that talks about real shit that goes on in in their community right and and uh going
0: past this song i think this was kind of the a, a point in the album where where i really understood the genius of the bomb squad which is the the production team behind this which actually is comprised of several members of public enemy as well is when the track goes to incident at 99.9 fm and it's a live recorded interview from wnbc where, Isn't
1: it 66.6?
0: Is it 66.6 or 99.9? I, I think it's 66.6. Hey, man, you might be right. So it's it's 66.6 FM on WNBC in, in yeah. New York. And and the track is they're having some get, guest uh, callers calling in talking about the abrasiveness of Public Enemy's music and how it's horrendous and they went to see him live. And then and then you have, uh, I, think, I believe, members of Public Enemy calling into the um, mm-hmm. calling into the station saying, like, you white liberals do not understand what uh, Chuck D is talking about because you're not part of this, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. They, they talk about one thing, I think uh, one theme that I hear throughout the album and including this particular, what do you call it, interlude, is there's a lot of, they do t- talk about hypocrisy. And I do feel a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of the complaints that you're hearing from the the, the white liberal crowd of the time. Um, and especially they specifically talk about something about, um, you know, this guy, he went to a show, he saw them open up for, I think it was the Beastie Boys. Right. And then he, he was complaining about how he saw a dude, you know, on stage with a, with a Uzi of some sort. Fake Uzi's, But yeah. it's like, yeah, exactly. And it's not like we don't watch, you know, theater or, or any kind of action movie or anything like that. But I think there's, it shows a lot of the fear that people like that caller, had at the time I mean just if you see a gun that's cool you see a gun on uh, Clint um, Eastwood you know that's cool that's a hero but you see a gun on a on a black dude from New York you know you're you, you feel that fear and you can hear that in his voice I think right right and in the in this in the
0: transitions towards you know maybe the second biggest hit of the album a song that really pulls you in which is Welcome to the Terror Dome one of in my opinion the highlights of the album and the the song welcome to the terror dome is a reference to the 1989 Virginia Beach riots where Yusuf Hawkins was mm. was murdered mm. mm-hmm. but what was your opinion just on the sonics of this song cuz you know this song it, it does kind of hit you off the bat and there's just so yeah. much going on in the song
1: yeah 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 so at this point in the album i'm really starting to believe that this album is meant to riot to right this album is meant to rally the troops and it it even starts off from the first and second track man it's like again just going back to how they're specifically using this album to to talk to their people like it legit is a is a message to the to their people at that particular time hey here's what's going on bro this is what the fuck we're going through um and the samples that they use mixed with this ambient noises that they have i think the reason why they sample crowds and parties going on in the background is to maybe create a sense of commotion is happening and with this with welcome to the terror dome you fucking feel that right. You feel that with all of the sonics and the lyrics mm-hmm. so i yeah i mess with this track heavy because of that right definitely one of the one of the key highlights
0: of the album and I would say, the, you know, the next song, Polly Wanna Cracka, it's, it's where you start to realize that Public Enemy, although their theme is on systematic racism and on, you know, black oppression, that they're able to tackle issues that are actually not even caused by, system, like by systematic racism, that are intra issues within the black community. So, like, Polly Wanna Cracka is a song that talks about, you know, interracial dating. And how, you know, uh, many black men will prefer to date white women because they want to be accepted. They want to be matriculated into uh, a more, you know, accepted society. And then on top of that, black women dating white men because they have more, you know, means, they have more ends, they have more financial resources. And so kind of controversial to talk about something like that right now, uh, just because. I think we're in an era of 2020 where interracial dating really, you know, doesn't, it's not considered racist for me to to date someone not of my own color. But at that time, you know, there was really a a message to be sent to the black community in regards to kind of stick with your own, so to speak. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and I think going back to another Thing that I mentioned earlier just about even in that topic I do feel there is a hint of there's some hypocrisy going on within the community it's like you know for the females they want to do that's able to provide this and that but also at the same time I mean the black man is being you know shut down by the society itself so it's like uh, but then when the black man comes out of um, a hood environment then he's looking for for more, and that's the complaint on the female side. And so it's a it's a really a interesting back and forth that is that seems to be really affected by what's happening externally out you know outside of the um, black community. Right. And it's it was an interesting. Yeah. Even
0: even though the song isn't by any means one of my favorites on the record, it's an interesting idea. So like I remember listening to an interview with Kanye West where they where he says he professes that his favorite porn Mm -hmm. is black men on white women. I don't know uh, if there's like a particular name for that, but he uh, he says that's his favorite porn to watch because it's such a it's such a flip on the script of. Of dominance of power right of uh, Mm. specifically in regards to american history is like look at this black man who is now able to basically you know fornicate white women the the women of the (laughs) white race so to speak
1: Mm -hmm. jesus
0: right and so after this the the next song is uh is another interesting track it's called the i mean we're gonna we're gonna say the pg version which is just anti-negro machine and so yeah. the the song is, it's just two minutes of samples, uh, you know, of different things like police sirens and gunshots and airplanes. And then Chuck D just goes in and rips the track's head off. Probably some of the most angry uh, rapping that you hear from Chuck <laughs> D uh, throughout the whole entire album.
1: Yeah. And yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree, man. Um, there was a lot of, I mean, that was a, uh, A lot of things he discussed on there and honestly it's like we can't even relate to it at you know just from who we are and where we're from but you really feel it you feel it in you feel it in the song man right right
0: and in 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 regards to why they would they would uh you know use the n-word as a as a as a title track um as, as i'm sorry as as a word on the actual track name it's because it's so much more eye catching when the song is called like you know anti n word machine just like how when n w a came up with f the police you know that 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 track really capture- you know captivates your attention mm. because it's so um it's so vulgar you know
1: yeah i you know I, actually thinking about it right now there's the naming of each of the tracks i i think <laughs> were done very well on this right, album actually right they both speak to the actual song and it's they each each of them ha- is provocative in their own way um so yeah no i just realized that now i, I appreciate that <laughs> right the and the song after
0: this is is interestingly enough it's called burn hollywood burn and the track features it's the only track with features, and it features two pretty big heavyweights within hip hop at that era, which was Big Daddy Kane and Ice Cube. Um, this was a time when it was much harder to be able to have a, a rapper come. Like, you know, th- you can't have someone send you files to the cloud and for you to have a, a you know, a USB. There wasn't even a USB you could mail to someone. That they had to physically probably be in the same building in order to to capture a feature. Is that true? Yeah.
1: That's that's true. And and if anything, rappers of their caliber at the time, I mean, these guys aren't aren't new, right? right? We're talking Big Daddy Kane, Ice Cube, and this is post um fuck the police. Right. Um, so they at the time, if they were to record this session now they would be passing around SSDs that are encrypted heavy yeah, 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 you know yeah, what i mean yeah. <laughs> if they were had if they had to do that but i do think they they had to have this session might have been in new york i would think
0: right i know the album was recorded in in three different studios uh the main one
1: being would probably new york city where public enemy is from <laughs> and and the song but one thing go ahead no one thing though about this particular song is it's funny that they have Ice Cube on it. I mean, I don't know when his movie career started to really take uh-huh. off, but I do think at this time he. Mu- I'm sure I've heard a couple stories on some interviews from older rappers that were um, that, you know, interacted with Ice Cube around that time, and I th- I think he's always had plans to to be a movie star, you know, or even be a director. Right. the 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 reason why there, there's a comical
0: element to the song is because the song is about um the exploitation of african americans within film and television where you know there's even i believe a, a section where the the, the person the, the narrator of the song is speaking to Flavor Flav and asking him to take a role and he says uh, you know a controversial role and Flavor Flav says oh i would love to play uh Huey Newton within a film and he says, Well, we're mm-hmm. thinking of something that's a little bit more meek. And so it's a it's the song's almost like a homage to the black exploitation era of films where African Americans held roles like the hero and they were the main subject other than where at that time when if you were a black actor you were more likely to have a role as a servant or a sidekick or even a slave. And so the 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 funny thing is that you know this song, being you know a song re- released in nineteen ninety, and Ice Cube's career kind of, kind of you know I guess his acting career started really growing over a decade later, but he starts taking these roles as like a family man, <laughs> and uh, yeah, more you know not not as. Not as I guess like a badass role as the way that this song probably intended African Americans to to kind of take the take. One thing uh with the song after this, Power to the People, I want to bring up is that the TR eight oh eight is used pretty heavily throughout this album and and there is a lot of influence coming in from Miami bass. Like a lot of these instrumentals, mm-hmm. although they're too although the 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 overlays are a little bit too dark, I could see Uncle Luke I could see two live crew yeah. rapping on you some of this
1: yeah I, I I feel that and and I wonder uh, what you think about this comparison, but I had somewhat of that a similar sentiment to that, um, but I felt a lot more uh Africa, Bambata, oh. Planet Rock vibes, um, and so I don't know how close uh, Miami bass is to that genre of I would call it, you know, b boy hip hop, te- sort of electronic. You know what I mean? Technically, um, and but but yeah, I I feel exactly what you're talking about. Right the the song
0: transitions to the next track which is fear of a black planet and it's the it's the song that they choose to name after you know name the album after the song is is about america's fear of african americans becoming a bigger part of society so almost mm-hmm. a fear of black excellence and the song is probably one of the most deeply afrocentric uh, songs within the album, in a, in a very Afrocentric album, uh, reminding the yeah. listener that a lot of cultural significance and a lot of you know all of our ancestries stem from Africa. And even though it's an Afrocentric type of album, it's an aggressively Afrocentric album. So it's not so much mm-hmm. the the Martin Luther King. It's way more the Stokely Carmichael, the Malcolm X. the the This album has a cta it has a call to action it wants you to revolt it wants you to be part of the revolution
1: yep yeah they i wonder though why didn't they start the album off with this with this song do you think do you think that was uh do you think they should have or do you think it was placed in a in the right spot you know it's interesting i don't think that this is a strong song within the context of
0: the whole album and and I even think that the album the first half of the album is stronger than the second half of the album you know it's it's it, and as you as you get into some of those mm-hmm. deeper cuts within the second half of the album the album's 20 songs the last 10 there's really only a few that for me have that playback value and this is not yeah. one of them in my opinion but it's it is a good it once again mm-hmm. what 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 public enemy doesn't you know although they don't ha- they're not the most listenable the songs that don't have that much listen value they're lyrically very well structured and they're lyrically very well represented
1: yeah i i heavily agree with that man i mean again this the lyrics on this album is timeless right right
0: and speaking of which lyrically the the next song revolutionary generation is a is a very interesting song because i don't other than like Tupac or Kendrick Lamar, it's a song we're talking about the African-American community's treatment, poor treatment of black women. And once again, it goes to show just how much of a Swiss Army knife public enemy is in terms of being able to look at a topic and, and tackle it from so many different angles. It's not just we need to revolt. It's also we need to change uh, our communities need to change themselves as well.
1: Yeah, as unapologetically black this album is, right. you know, I think the I think it's very powerful that they bring up these hypocrisies and 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 all of these um, deficiencies that are happening within the culture, because um, it's something to talk about. And again, like I mean, especially if this album is a hey, let's rally to it, you know what I mean? Hey, let's also work through these issues together. We have to because no one else is gonna do it for us. Yeah and 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 that's perfectly
0: encapsulated in the next song is almost the the opposite it's the apathy side of the song's called can't mm. do nothing for you man and it's another flavor flavor yeah. solo where it it does represent the helplessness of African American community in terms of helping one another and you know there it's almost as if somebody's asking flavor flavor for help and he says
1: I can't do nothing for you man yeah you know yeah, I love I love the Flav of Flav contribution to the album as a whole because there's so much tension in the album, man. Not only in Chuck's voice and his execution, the the samples they create the tension in the music, and then every now and then you'll have Flav come in with with uh, some lighthearted shit like this, but also the topic itself is is deep, right? right. And so I I, I appreciate that. That thing that they added to the album, you know, whether it was intentional or whether it was just it came naturally to all of their personalities. But I love that they really highlighted each of the personalities within the album. It's not like, hey, this album, this whole album needs to be, you know, every song needs to be fight the power, right? You know, right. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad they did that. Right. And and the song after this, uh,
0: the <clears throat> next song I want to talk about, Re- Reggie Jacks, um. It's a, it's a reggae song, and it's interesting because it's reggae dubs overlaid with like Chuck D's very echoing rap. You know, they're using that same vocal, yeah. vocal, vocal effect that they use a lot on dub music. Um, although the song's not great in particular, it is interesting that they might have been one of the first rap groups to really mess around with reggae type effects. And, you know, especially as you go towards more into the future when you have guys like Modest Yahoo, uh, that they, they pioneer being a reggae rapper.
1: Yeah, dude, I, throughout this album, I'm just very impressed by how it was engineered. Like, because what you were just saying, they style bend how the song was mixed, you know? Part of me feels like this song was mixed by people who are used to mixing rock music um but somehow it just translated well as a as a good ass rap album and I do think we had a conversation about this but it seems also people who can people who tend to listen to rock more often also mess with public enemy and it may be because of the sonics aren't too far from each other right right and it's really an um it's really
0: showcases, especially even on the net, the song after "Leave This Off the Charts." It showcases just how talented the Bomb Squad was, and how there really isn't production teams that spend so much time ingrained in the detail of how they want the music to be presented.
1: Yeah. I was thinking that, dude, it sounds like Public Enemy had complete control over how the song sounded. You you hear stories of rappers of, of that time, Tupac, DMX, on how they would go off on their engineer. These guys don't know what the engineers are really doing, but they just know how they want their music to sound like. And so it really sounded like they had complete control over the textures that are happening off in the background and um and even what was happening in the in the foreground of the music that be the lyrics and the main uh the main samples and rhythms that were going on yeah and the you know going
0: back to sort of what what i call like the cta of the album right the the last the album does end very well it ends with uh, one track Uh, in particular b-side wins again there's a lyric where they say there's war at 33 and one third and i thought that was just a very interesting play where they're saying the war takes place on a vinyl record so what is the war well we know who the enemy is so like we know that the dominant white groups of the time that were controlling the media radio television were viewing the african-american diaspora as the enemy, and so the war takes place. Uh, although there's no more, you know, there, there really isn't big public figure, figures that were civil rights activists because you know segregation was on the was either at the tail end or it already had ended, and so it, it became more systematic. and And now it's up to musicians, it's up to the people that are within you know black media to really voice their opinion. And push the agenda mm-hmm. of, of equality,
1: you know. Yeah, I like I like that take. And and if I can add to that, um, to even go back to the the song where it's leave this off the fucking charts, right? Um, one thing that's interesting, I just thought about this. Maybe maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But but I think they have explicit messages like that because imagine if Public Enemy really became commercial if their music was set for the radio, I truly think that it would lose its credibility in the messages that they were saying. Because, you know, imagine activist types that are also profiting off of the music, right? I do think people wouldn't take... I think people in the soil wouldn't take their music seriously because it's like, oh, you guys are just pop stars, bro. What do you guys know um, about what's happening down here? And so I, I do think they intended to both... Have a strong message, and even let their people know that hey, I, we're not doing this music for profit. We're really, and this, and this we're really doing this for for us. And and here's a song that literally says, hey, leave this off the charts. We don't need it there because right. this is purely for us. This is just for us. Right. And and the interesting thing about this, I, the notion of the charts is
0: that the charts back then, from what I understand, it. There was no, I don't think there was a hip hop chart. I think no. that at the time there was literally a chart called the Black Music Chart, to my understanding, or what's what's now modern called modernized as
1: urban. Um, yeah, yeah, that that's exactly what it is. I don't know when urban was started, but it probably wasn't that <laughs> that long ago. Right, right, and
0: this pretty much the album ends with uh, a transition track called what is it, the final count of the collision between us and the damn, and it goes into the strongest piece of music that Public Enemy has ever created. Uh, truly, arguably, you know, one of the best recorded pieces of music ever made in hip-hop, and, and, and a song that truly encapsulates the entire album into a single track, maybe even the entire message of Public Enemy, and that's Fight the Power right the the song starts off it's it's so uh memorable to remember the thomas todd uh tnt he's he was a civil rights activist talking about that it's a message that was intended for what is it the vietnam war but they were able to flip that into the modern war the modern war of racial justice Mm. and the song is, is truly the, the modern, I guess in 1990, but still till now, is the Malcolm X, is the Minister Farrakhan type of messaging that was available for black youth to consume. And, and even more so because the music video is is, is, is is very well done. It was directed by Spike Lee. This track is... Still stands the test of time, I don't know if I would ever play it at a party, so to speak, but people know the song people know this song regardless if they're even hip hop fans or not, because it is so powerful of a message
1: yeah i I don't know what the cutoff year is for you to not know this song, but I do think it goes well into ninety five <laughs> you know I think especially if i oh man I can really only speak I've been in the hip-hop culture pretty much my whole life you know we we always hear this song in, in so many places i mean i've heard it um both in video games and in do the right thing right you know, and so we've always we've always heard this song but hearing it at least for me hearing it in this context of the album i think it was a great closer <laughs> and 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 it and if i knew that this uh if i had heard this song within the album first i would have i would have went nuts because that that track is that track is mean man
0: yeah i mean they're really it's lyrically mean in that you know it it Mm -hmm. talks about um you know elvis was a hero to most um you know fuck john
1: wayne too and then and they bring that they bring that bar back twice right right <laughs> yeah, I mean. right just to super emphasize it
0: right yeah and so yep. it, what a way to end an album uh well worth the wait even even as i'm sitting through some of these tracks that were filler and weren't were a little bit mediocre compared to the highlights um yeah, the the theme, the album's theme of like institutional racism and a shift of tone from Eurocentrism t- towards Afrocentrism, made it Def Jam's mm. you know best selling album. Russell Simmons even said that, who who was the CEO of Def Jam at the time, said he used a very grassroots type campaign to promote the album. Um, you know, it, it was definitely mm-hmm. underground. the The irony of all this is that. I think Public Enemy is a rap group that is way more of a white consumerist <laughs> type of, uh, you know. There's just way more white people who listen to Public Enemy than black people, and, and that's not a knock on the group. I think it's just the album sonically has more of a rock tone to it. You know, it's yeah, it's so fast, it's so brutally fast uh, that it causes listening fatigue a lot of the times. I mean, as you and I were listening to the album, we're like, damn, this thing doesn't ever stop the gas pedal.
1: Right, right. And even when it cools down on those interludes, you know, they, they don't last that long. You know, then you're right, you're right back into the, <laughs> the commotion. You're literally thrown right back into the crowd, you know. Um, but this music is meant to be played loud and you don't feel it you don't feel it if you if you aren't one thing i noticed was when i was hearing it i do recommend listening to this album on at least 250 ohm headphones because you can hear all the textures like if if you've only heard this shit on some airpods you're missing a lot of the album you're missing a lot of the impact in my opinion when we were listening to it um i was hearing it on my on my studio monitors and and man, I swear like it's a lot cleaner on there, but I mean imagine hearing it and we may not never experience this, man, but imagine hearing this at at a show at some fucking at, at some other venue. Yeah. yeah. In in New York, you know what I mean? And and they got a I don't know how they do their sets, but I'm assuming, you know, they just have instrumentals, they got um they got the DJ, he's just scratching and then mixing Um, all kinds of stuff on the spot. But then you also have the noise of the crowd going on, and then you got the noise of the crowd that's probably in the track itself, and it just feels like a whole revolution. And I think that was the intention.
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking of revolution, it's what really helps, and the the reason why this album is so timeless, why critics even call this, like, you know, one of the most significant pieces of hip-hop music ever made, is because of Chuck D's... (laughs) ability you know he's so thought-provoking and he's very intelligent he's able to truly dissect the black experience leading up to the 1990s even Mm -hmm. to people like you and i we're asian right and 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 he's able to show it to other to other race groups you know what it's like to to understand a piece of uh, a piece of history and it's almost a a, not only a return to the five percenters or the Black Panthers type of revolution but it's a call to popularizing political revolution as a theme in all of hip-hop music uh, going forward into the future
1: yeah if, if I can add to that man one word like I literally just thought of one word uh, when I I took a second to listen to it um, and after fight the power was over the the first thing i was thinking about is just fucking empathy this album mm. yeah this album for real does a good job of creating uh how do you say it it's again we're asian from california right born in 92 born after the fact but if you feel the way I feel as we're listening to a man, you it really puts you in there, and it's because it's partly because of Chuck, it's partly because of... it's Chuck and his lyrics, and it's because of the production and all of the textures that they put into each of the uh beats. All of that together really made for this album. Is it is it having like such great empathy? Is that is that the phrase I'm looking for? But you know what I mean, though. Right. I, I don't think that there ever has been an
0: album that's so entrenched in in political activism as this as this album. And, I, you know, my, I myself am—I'm not the kind of guy who really enjoys politics in my hip-hop, right? Like, I don't enjoy cream and sugar in my coffee. So the fact that this album has stood the test of time— to be a catalyst towards more political hip hop, you know, being politics being an openly an open subject within rap music is uh, is why it's such an important piece of music. And and even even an argument could be made because of public enemy's influence on hip hop, there's been a backlash. There's been a backlash from modern, you know, rappers of the 2010s maybe towards the end where they said we we don't want to make thought-provoking music. We don't want to make uh, critical music. We want to make fun music. And so uh, mm-hmm. it, it is It is sort of, in some ways, a breath of fresh air to come back to this and say, wow, there was so much meaning and power behind
1: uh, this piece of art. It It is interesting, though, to think about, well, let's look at what the Def Jam roster was. Right. At the time, you know, I mean, on Def Jam in the late 80s, I would think who was out there like a LL Cool J type character. Right. And in, in music like that is just, you know, I'm a smooth guy. I'm here for the ladies. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if there was anybody else on that roster that was as politically charged as public enemy. And I, and I mean, that might've been the appeal to have them on that label, um, considering what was happening at the time. Um, maybe that, maybe that was a choice that they made, uh, strategically to have a a group like public enemy in the mix of, of these traditional rappers who, I guess some would say that they speak of traditional, uh, rap things. You know what I mean? money, cars, and clothes and how fly you are. <laughs> right, right. Well, you got any final points on this? Um, You know, I, I, one of the biggest takeaways for me for this album, I was thoroughly impressed by the Sonics, man. Just out of any rap album that came out at the time, I'm thoroughly impressed by it. Um, and as you said, you know, the way it sounds maybe it it feels like a rock song and i'm not even i don't listen to rock whatsoever but i appreciated that that's how the album sounded mm-hmm. you know so um overall the i feel that the obviously the production is outdated the lyrics are are timeless um and i even think the way it was mixed and mastered um holds today and probably beats a lot of soundcloud tracks that Hmm. that are dropping today you know what i mean right yeah man yeah i mean i would agree it's not an
0: album that i would ever recommend (laughs) to someone to listen to if they were starting off their hip-hop journey or needed something to listen to for it's it's
1: a piece of well not even for somebody that started it though right no man not even some no so huh I would think that, for for old heads, right, and we're we're kind of I would think we're old head adjacent. Okay, you know what I mean. Um, we we're people who do our research on things and go backwards a lot of times, more often than forwards. Right. Um, but you're saying you wouldn't recommend Public Enemy or this album um, to to a newbie? I would to a hip hop to a hip hop you know, newbie. Novice. I would maybe recommend. <laughs> two th- three songs three songs i would just say I
0: don't fight the, okay, fight the sure. power yeah, yeah. Term, you know um i would say fight the power Nine one one is a joke and welcome to the terror dome i don't i don't think that the rest of the album really uh you know there's any other additional songs that are just
1: not encapsulated within those three songs in my mm-hmm. personal opinion yeah, I would. I would definitely. I would disagree with the nine one one as a joke. I would just keep it to the uh, Terra Dome and uh, fight the power. Right. And maybe even brothers got to work it out. But even then, the current listener doesn't have the attention span and the patience for music like there is on this album. Right. Because not saying that there's any fillers on here. I do think as the album as a whole, each of the songs have to be played in this order, mm-hmm. for the most part. I'm sure we can move some things around, but. But you have to hear every song because I do think each song adds context to the album. And, if, and that requires patience. <laughs> but in order to get that, I do think you're able to empathize with the artists a lot more if you sit with this album. Right. And the new listeners, they're not, they're not used to that, man. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's, there's at least three Tentacion songs within one of these tracks. You know what I mean? So yeah. that so these songs are about four minutes. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, a little bit over. A little bit over that sometimes. And a lot of these new songs are, um, uh, about two two minutes. I I might have seen a song one minute and forty seconds. You know what I mean? Um, uh, but but I, but I do think that would be the challenge for new listeners coming coming back to this album. No, wholeheartedly agree, man. So. If uh, we want to know
0: what you guys think of the album uh, and also Mm -hmm. just are you in your 20s? Are you in your 30s and enjoying this or are you even, you know, below 20 years old and able to truly enjoy Public Enemy? Mm -hmm. So let us know your thoughts. Is this an album that you guys go back to a lot of the times? Is this considered a classic or is it just for you? It's it's not even a thought as far as whether or not you're going to even spend the time to listen to this, but... You know, Fear of a Black Planet by Public Enemy, it's legendary. It's there. Go check it out if, if if, there's a calling for you to do so.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Peace out, guys. Rap geeks, baby. Rap geeks. Peace.
0: Fuck yeah.